0: 333-1933 online at mypremierortho.com
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of the Herald Times. Today I'm uh, sitting here with Kyle Stokes, who's my co-host. Kyle is with Impact Indiana and uh, we're going to talk today about the schools on Thursday, Monroe County Community School Corporation. Superintendent Judy DeMuth um, did her first, and the first in my memory, State of the School Corporation address. Uh, Today, we're going to expand that discussion about the Monroe County Schools and those issues by talking about uh, southern, south-central Indiana schools, uh, including Brown County, Lighthouse Christian, and the MCCSC, and just school issues in general. We have three guests in the studio with us. David Schaefer has returned. David is the Brown County School Superintendent, we're glad to have him back. Don Wilson is here. He is the Lighthouse Christian Schools Principal, and as I just mentioned to Don, I don't think we've ever had Lighthouse uh, represented on a program. And uh, Sue Wanzer is here. Sue is a member of the Monroe County Community School Board. Um, we, If you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 812-855-0811 or 877-285-9348. And the uh, web address is WFIU.org slash Noon Edition if you want to join an online
2: chat. Absolutely. We've, got a, we've also got a poll question up here. What you think the biggest issue is uh, that, that Indiana schools have faced um, in what really was a remarkable year in public education, if you want to weigh in, you can check in on our website and vote there.
1: All right. Kyle, I, I always like hosting with you, but I, I always want you to explain Impact Indiana a little bit because <laughs> you're focused on education.
2: That's right. We, myself, as well as a colleague of mine, Ben Skirvin, uh, run the uh, education policy blog, State Impact Indiana, which is a local national collaboration of uh, WFIU and WTIU News here in Bloomington, um, as well as with NPR News in Washington. We have editorial support there, and we're covering education uh, issues across the state. You heard uh, a story this morning from New Harmony down in the southwest part of the state, and just yesterday I was up in the northeast part of the state covering a different issue. So uh, we've been covering a whole wide range of policy issues, and you can check us out on indianapublicmedia.org. There's a link to us there.
1: All right. Now you're back in. uh, South Central Indiana, and we're going to talk about uh, the school corporations in this area. And Sue, since uh, the uh, MCCSC conversation sort of started this, um, Dr. DeMuth uh, yesterday talked about a range of issues. Uh, One of them, I was there, and one of them that struck me was uh, the uh, testing issue. I guess we should just jump right in on that. And she talked a great deal about how um, and the other uh, the other folks can jump in on this, too. But she talked a great deal about preparing students to be able to take the tests that are mandated by the state. And I wondered if you could sort of expand on that.
0: Well, yeah, and, and I think um, the superintendent is very wise when she talks about testing. And she has made it very clear that it really doesn't matter what her personal opinion about these tests are. The tests are required. So it's up to us to make sure. Um, that we do everything we can to, to get kids prepared for it. Um, if you talk to parents, there are a lot of kids who go through a lot of stress leading up to the ICEP test. Um, I wish some of that stress we could eliminate, and I'm sure a lot of our teachers do find ways to do that. But... This is not about teaching to the test, but it's about making kids um, prepared to take a test. You know that there's a test and retest factor. If you take a test one time and you don't do well, you take it again, you're going to automatically do better. So a lot of it is that preparing and letting kids see what the test is like and practicing some of those kinds of skills. Um, Again, there are a whole lot of issues surrounding state testing and what it really measures and if it really measures what we want it to measure. Um, but the fact of the matter is the the requirement is we have to take the I-STEP test in this state. Mm-hmm.
1: And, David, your school corporation also has to take it. Is it uh, do you have a sort of a similar philosophy that whether you like it or not, you need to make sure that those kids are prepared?
3: I, I would agree with what uh, Sue said. The um, testing is a reality at this point. Uh, ac- accountability is a reality for us. And, and that's not really a bad thing. Um, I think teaching the Indiana standards uh, has uh, been a much greater emphasis since the testing program has been placed in, in our uh, in our all of our neighborhoods. Uh, the idea uh, when I started the business, we heard a term a lot: academic freedom for teachers. You don't hear that term anymore at all. We're really we're really testing pretty much a, a curriculum that's. Statewide and really going nationwide with the Common Core standards that uh, the state has embraced. So, um, you know, I agree that preparing students is very, very important, and I think that teaching them to be confident about being able to uh, um, take the tests and to understand that they are well prepared is a factor in mm-hmm. at least in our preparation in Brown County.
1: Don, from Lighthouse, I want to know, how this is, is this relevant to you, and, and how, how do you, when you see the state standards, how does that relate to what you're doing?
4: It is relevant to us. We are uh, accredited by the state of Indiana through the freeway status, uh, so we do give uh, the I-STEP uh, test, uh, and as we look at what we are doing uh, as a school, we are looking at the common core state standards now. Um, our curriculum needs to uh, line up so that uh, our students are prepared for the for the I step test also mm-hmm. uh, we see that as uh, part part of our mission while we have a very broad mission of preparing students as uh, Christians to take their place in the world that means uh, that they are prepared that they have the skills they know the content and as a as a school in the state of in Indiana uh, we want to be prepared uh, for the students where wherever they may go.
2: I'm wondering about the the preparation times. That that's something that that the superintendents and teachers that I speak with all the time. They talk about how long you really have to take to ramp up to these tests. And um, I, I guess I can start with you, Mr. Schaefer. And if you could just talk about what that preparation time looks like in Brown County schools that ramp up to test time, and and whether or not that sort of it, it sort of becomes a, a myopic focus of the school district, if I can use that word, like. You you're really going down this one track of going after just these tests and other things, other educationally important things fall for the wayside for the month or month and a half before the test?
3: Well, we, um, I think we, we spend the whole year preparing for the test. When the test moved from fall to spring, that really kind of changed the dynamic for, I think, most school corporations. Uh, prior to uh, changing to the spring, you essentially spent the first four weeks of school uh, depending on when you started, getting ready to take the, the I-STEP test in September. Now that it's a spring test, I think that we obviously still have a review process at the beginning of the year to address uh, uh, concepts that students may have lost over the summertime, but I think the preparation is throughout the year. I don't know that I feel like we have a, a specific ramp-up um, set of uh, Practices that we're following as we as we move up to the to the testing uh, dates. I think rather. Um our teachers are are checking on whether or not they have reached as many of the standards as they feel like they they need to have reached in order to have the kids ready.
2: Yeah. Sue Wanzer, what do you think? What are you hearing from parents and teachers? I mean, you speak about uh, you know the the test anxiety that the issues that that brings up. What do you hear about test preparation that the the, the from from teachers and, and parents and even students who might be interested in the issue? Yeah, it's a
0: good question, Kyle. Um... Because there's a lot of different feelings out there. Um, I have recently been communicating with parents who are concerned, you know, especially when you talk about a ramp up and a preparation for testing and are other things falling by the wayside. Um, Are we spending so much time getting ready for a test that we're missing the other things? And there are some parents who would like to opt out of the I-STEP testing. Um, They're looking for um, other support and other people throughout the state who feel the same way. And again, I'll go back to whatever I think of the testing, which I don't value a whole lot. I, I value it as one one measure, one piece of how we measure success, one small piece. But if we don't, if our students don't participate in the I-STEP, it counts against that school. It counts against the school. It could mean that we don't make adequate yearly progress. we don't make adequate yearly progress, the state takes over. Now, that's a real loss of local control. So if people are concerned about um, local control, I think maybe – Instead of opting out of a test, we need to have a statewide conversation about is this kind of testing measuring what we want it to measure, and not just do it on a local basis, but do that statewide. Mm-hmm.
1: I wanted to ask about timing of the test uh, as well, because I, I, I was I was struck yesterday when uh, Dr. Demuth was asked about the length of the school year. Uh, we'll get into that in a in a bit too, but. Um, But she talked about how a lot of people are moving earlier – starting earlier because they just want more time in school before the test occurs. Yet we have a a legislator that has a bill uh, in the legislature that would mandate that all school corporations in the state would start after Labor Day. Um, So I I wanted to see what you think about those two issues sort of converging. First of all, should I mean should the state be telling the school corporations when they should start? And secondly, uh, is it th- this idea of starting earlier to help get kids prepared, whenever the test is, is that a valid sort of valid concern, David?
3: Uh, let me take the second part of that first. Mm-hmm. I, I think Dr. Demuth made a, a very good point uh, in her presentation last night that uh, uh, the longer that you have to prepare for a test or any project. In theory, the better prepared you're going to be for it. Uh, so the legislation that's happening that's being proposed at the General Assembly to move the start of the time, start of the time back is going to impact uh, the amount of time that we have to get ready children ready for for school. Now it sounds like to me if that were to go through. And I'll answer your question. I think it's a very bad idea. I think I think it's I think it's not the uh, domain of the state of Indiana uh, to set when local school districts would start their school year. The the senator from Carmel uh, ought to have input in his community about when Carmel starts school. And uh, Bloomington oughta, Bloomington folks ought to decide through their school board when they start school. And Brown County folks should decide when we start school. And if it becomes enough of an issue that the board, the local school board, is not being receptive, I know Sue probably can speak to the fact that those folks have to stand for uh, uh, review by the voters, and, and the voters will ultimately speak on that. But the idea of the General Assembly taking the authority away from the local school board to set the start of the school year, in my mind, is absolutely a waste of time by the General Assembly. I think there are very many state issues that are much more important for them to deal with.
2: It comes rolled in a package of, of a whole bunch of different legislation. I mean, you know, all the way up to class basketball, which That's is right. sort of a, you know, it's all kind of rolled into one ball there. But uh, relevant to the school calendar issue is that it also allows flexibility in the school calendar for, for districts that are for schools that are receiving A ratings. Um, on the other hand, as you want to say, yeah, there's 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 the need for local control, and that a Labor Day provision would take away local control. Aren't there also parts of the same bill that allow for greater flexibility for local schools?
3: Well, and, and you know, let's talk about let's talk about uh, uh, the proposal which suggests that uh, school years could be reduced if the local schools are A-rated or achieve, achieving. Uh, I thought some years ago we were all in agreement that. Uh, It was a good thing to move from 175 student days to 180 days. I suspect as we go around the table here, most of us, uh, the the educators at least, and the people I talk to would be in agreement that if we had boys and girls in school longer than 180 days, we ought to be able to do more with them. We ought to be able to take them further in the curriculum. Some of the debate about how well the United States... Education system is doing versus foreign education systems relates to the fact that our school years are dramatically shorter. So, I, where the senator from Carmel is coming from on that one—that's the first time I've heard I, that one. I don't quite understand it.
1: We have a clip from uh, Dr. Demuth yesterday where she sort of she addressed the 180 days, and we're going to play that now.
5: We are very fortunate to have the type of technology that we have. We're working on that. We're strengthening that.
2: And it
1: really assists both our staff and our students. I think what we uh we we had a little glitch there. we played the wrong <laughs> the, the wrong track uh, we needed to get number two uh, there, but anyway she she had talked about one hundred and eighty days being something that uh quite honestly she said right now she doesn't see that being um, uh, th- that's going to change just because financially it's it's not possible.
0: Well, well, that that's a really good point. And um, like David, I really thought that at some point we would talk about extending school years. Um, we're falling behind other countries. Um, we're no longer an agrarian society where we have to take summer times off to go out and harvest the crops or plant the crops. Um, we're able to, um, to do year-round or balance calendars or, or add days in. But Dr. DeMuth was right. Um, right now, we don't have the money to be able to pay staff, to be able to pay Um, to have school extended any more days. But the whole start and stop time really amuses me because people who are around my age range, which most of us here are probably, for some reason people think they remember when they were a kid they didn't go to school until after Labor Day and they ended before Memorial Day. I have no idea if that's true, but for some reason that's what everybody thinks it's supposed to be. You can't get in 180 days doing that. So we either have to start before Labor Day or end after Memorial Day. And it's a struggle no matter which way you want to go.
2: Mm-hmm. Don Wilson, I, I <coughs> want to see if we can bring you into this and see if it, if, if this affects you at all. I can just think of the potential for, I, I mean, with the way that a lot of schools will try and align. If you live in a college town, they'll try and align schedules with a college. I mean, if it sort of moves down the line, I know that, you know, St. Charles uh, Academy tried to – align their schedule more closely with MCCSC, and they had to go through the state board to do that. Is that something that affects you if if we're talking about changing the length of the school calendar?
4: It does affect us. We certainly try to align uh, both with uh, Monroe County particularly, uh, since we're located here, most of our students are are located there. We have many of our families that have students in our school also have students in the public school, so they really uh, prefer to have the schedules uh, be the same. And uh, we also have a lot of our families that are connected with IU in in some way, so uh, we watch their calendar very, very carefully. So what they do does does affect us.
1: Okay. If you have questions about uh, issues involving education in our area. Please give us a call, 855-0811, uh, toll-free, 877-285-9348, and wfiu.org slash noon edition is the website if you want to join a live chat or answer our poll question.
2: Yeah, what do you think is the top issue for Indiana schools? We've got four options up on our poll today. is test scores and performance, funding, diversity, and school schedules. If you want to weigh in, you can log on to that website.
1: All right, if we have that uh, clip from, from Dr. DeMuth on the school, schedule we'll just we'll just play that right now our students do attend 180 school
0: days um and quite honestly um right now i don't see that being um any movement on that financially uh, it's not being
1: talked about and financially i don't think uh, we can afford it yeah i i think uh David Schaefer mentioned before that, you know, we have talked about in Indiana whether 180 days was enough, but it's just – they're just any money to to do anything mm-hmm. else, so.
2: One of, one of the other issues that, that sort of comes out – it's similar to the calendar, but uh, different in another way is, – is the student count date proposal that's sort of meandering through, and it depends on how many count dates we end up with, but just to back up, I mean – the count there's a count date every single year, and then a district's state funding is tied to that count date. Um, and now the the state is proposing, or a legislature is proposing, maybe adding a second count date, maybe even a third count date. There was even a speaker in in the in the state house this this past week who suggested doing monthly count dates. Um, I, I wonder, uh, David Schaefer, if you can sort of talk about how that would impact the schools to have two count dates or even more count dates added uh, into your uh, budget process.
3: Well, for for Brown County, interestingly, and I've, I've worked here in Brown County, seven this is my 17th year, um, for whatever reason, we seem to hit our high student count number at the beginning of the year. So as the year goes along, and I, I think it has to do with the rural nature of Brown County, the availability of housing, uh, the availability of uh, people who are uh, transient, people who move into an area where there are not a lot of jobs per se. Right in that area, we hit our high water mark at the beginning of the year. So multiple count days for us would probably have a negative financial impact. We happen to be fortunate uh, that uh, the, the, the the date that's counted is near our our high water mark. Uh, another school corporation. Probably is going to be different. Urban school corporations may have a, a, a variable uh, on that, uh, uh, and I understand. You know, I understand what the debate is. Should you know, should that money stay with the student once uh, once your your student population decreases? That that really is, I think, the essence of that uh, multiple count day issue.
0: Yeah, and I'm sorry that you would lose some money, but. In MCCSC, we would probably gain some money. So um, you would be in favor of it, and yeah. I might be opposed to it. Yeah, because we know that um, that we gain students um, throughout the year, and they're coming from other places, but we never get the funding for them. So the folks that you might be losing that you get the money for, um, we're gaining, but then we don't get any funding for it. So, um, And to be really honest, um, David would have to a- answer this. I don't know what kind of time and effort goes into Um, administratively doing those count dates. So whether or not that's worth it to do three or four, I really think we need to do at least one a semester.
2: Where are the kids coming back from?
0: Some some of them might be leaving private schools. Some of them, especially in a community like Bloomington, we have a lot of people come in at semester break um, with faculty or grad students. So they come in from a lot of places.
1: We're going to talk in the second half of the program about vouchers because that's that's sort of related with you know where the uh, money following the the students. But before we uh, we we're going to break in about a couple of minutes. But I want to talk about the length of the school day. We've talked about the length of the school year. Obviously, Sue, this is a big issue. And in, in uh, the MCCSC, you added I think uh, forty five minutes to the school day for elementary school mm-hmm. and thirty five for high school kids. And it's been sort of controversial among parents I guess the, the, the way you set up the schedule and also just I've, I've heard from some teachers, some parents who just don't think the extra time is of value and, and I wanted to to get your your feedback on that and the other, the other folks about the longer school day.
0: Uh, you know what I've heard the same thing too Bob and for the 11 years I've been on the school board the one thing I've heard most often from people is we need to lengthen the school day. Um, we were really fortunate a year ago when we um, Uh, Crafted the the new um, teacher contract that they were willing to put in that extra time for really, literally, no extra money, Um, they knew that they were putting in that extra time anyway, so why not do it um, in the classroom with the kids? If it's not producing any kind of learning benefits, if it's not producing um, something that's better, greater achievement, then you're right. It is a waste of time. Um, But it seemed to be I think irresponsible not to take the step to do this, and and I think there's probably one of the things where there's a learning curve and figuring out exactly how we're going to spend that time. Some people have talked about having amazing experiences with their kids, Um, not just kids who need um, intervention and specific help, but but kids who are already succeeding, and now they get a chance for enrichment. Um, It could depend on the school. It could depend on the teacher. It could depend on the child. Um, But fortunately... Um, our superintendent put together a committee that's looking at the longer school day, um, taking some data that some Kelly MBA students gathered, working also with the Center on Education, from um, the school of Educa- Center for um, Evaluation, from the School of Education, and that data is going to be reviewed by this broad-based citizen um, committee to really look at, is it doing what we thought it would do? Are we gaining something from this, and are there, are there ways we can do it better? And should we change it? Should we lengthen it? Should we shorten it? What do we do with the schedule?
1: Just to review, what, David, how long is the uh, school day in Brown County?
3: The the day at the high school in Brown County is uh, seven hours. And, and, of course, there's 30 minutes out of uh, that time for lunch and then a few minutes here and there for passing
1: periods. Mm-hmm. And how about Don with Lighthouse?
4: Our um, high school goes from uh, 8 to, to 315, mm-hmm. and our elementary is slightly shorter, 810 to to 3 o'clock.
1: Mm-hmm. So the MCSC time was, it was a six-hour
4: right. instructional so, day. Right. And, and, and
1: we it's... did
0: have, we acknowledge, uh, people acknowledge we had the shortest school day in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the time that I was on the board, I thought there is never going to be a way that we can ever extend our day because we don't have the funds to pay our teachers. But like I said, um, they graciously, um, acknowledged that this was needed and they were willing to put in that extra time.
1: All right. Sue Wanzer from the Monroe County Community School Board is here. Don Wilson, the Lighthouse Christian Schools Principal, and David Schaefer, Brown County Schools Superintendent. Uh, You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
6: This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net and from Premier Ortho, online at mypremierortho.com. You can take WFIU with you by downloading podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews Welcome back
1: to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg from The Herald-Times, along with co-host Kyle Stokes, Impact Indiana reporter. Uh, We're talking about issues involving the school corporations, public schools, and private schools. In our, our area with us in the studio are David Schaefer, the Brown County School Superintendent, Don Wilson, Lighthouse Christian Schools Principal and Sue Wonser, a member of the Monroe County Community School Corporation Board. You can join us on the program by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 from outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also go to our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition to join a live chat. Jenny has taken uh, our invitation to call, and she's on the line now. Jenny?
7: Hi, um, I have a question. I was at Wednesday night's forum, and there was a lot of talk there about how with recent legislation in Indiana, how teachers are now so vulnerable that it will be difficult for them to advocate for students or bring up questions or disagreements about basically anything from the size of their classes to curricular decisions. So this uh, question is for um, the all, all of your panelists, I'm wondering what you're doing in your districts to protect your teachers and our children's learning environment. As okay. a parent, I trust the professionals who are with my child day in and day out, and I really want their voices to be heard. So I'm wondering if you have considered even providing an anonymous venue within your administration for teachers' questions.
1: Jenny, can I, can I ask you a, a question about this? Yes, uh, you're can. you're referring primarily to the, uh, the change in the law that, that takes away uh, anything but... Uh, uh, bargaining on wages from the That's teachers. Right. Uh-huh. Okay.
7: Yeah, yeah, it's it's that, and it's it's also. Um, it just seems everything seems really top now, <laughs> top down now. Everything is coming down from the state, and our teachers are going to be graded on how our children perform. I mean, I'm so concerned about this because I don't want. It just seems like structurally, it's really terrible to have a a child with challenges be uh, potentially a liability for a teacher. You know, that's unfair to the child. That's unfair to the teacher. Um, But that's that's sort of moving away from the question that I
0: have. Hi, Jenny. Thanks for calling. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Um, Yeah, I was at that forum, too, Wednesday, and and, um, I'm real concerned um, with what the state is doing with the um, so-called right-to-work legislation and everything that they're doing um, that seems to be um, impacting negatively collective bargaining. Um, m- my ultimate goal would be that at some point we would have a, a school corporation that that might even be more like a university governance system where we wouldn't have to have protections for teachers um, that we could have that kind of academic freedom where everybody could could share what they wanted to and be free to speak about what no, they needed. I,
7: I just am really concerned about that. Right now, I just see. I feel like our local the MCCSC. Um, really feels like they have to present everything in lockstep. All of uh, lots of curricular motions seem to be. I, I go to board meetings and all the presentations. I, I never hear a word of dissent, and and I that doesn't reassure me that the people on the ground are being heard. Because I think I think in a healthy organization, you have people who are able to offer different
0: opinions. And Jenny, so I, I couldn't agree more. You're right. We we I mean. We're talking, education is about ideas, and so we have to have that free exchange of ideas. Um, You should have been, we had an organizational meeting yesterday. It was a short meeting, but I dissented, so you should have been there. (laughs) You would have seen some dissent. But I understand what you're saying, and we've got to get away from that. We've got to be able to protect people's freedom to talk and share information. And um, even if there is legislation that um, limits what the collective bargaining process is about, I would like to see us do some things locally that still protects teachers rights to share information and to disagree um, that's the only way we're going to get a good product is if we welcome and allow a whole lot of different ideas all right,
7: right, right. I'm curious about structurally what you would suggest because I don't I you know I don't I don't have the answer here
0: I, I'm not necessarily sure I have the answer but maybe it's the beginning of a discussion but as I was talking about before almost like a faculty governance system on a college campus um, where it's really the faculty governance, body that runs the university. Um, it's not really the administrators, it's that faculty governance and right. if public education could ever move towards something like that um, I think it might be very healthy for our teachers. Right. Right. Well, I, or maybe my, my colleagues here have some ideas about okay. how to do that better.
2: I mean, I'd like to throw it out to to you, uh, David, and as well to you, Don, about about just sort of the ideas that have been coming down from the state in terms of this real march towards accountability on testing and 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 putting a lot of emphasis on that testing. Um, I, I mean, the, you know, yes, this is the reality that we have to live with, but. Um, you know, I think there are some. You know, even people with the state who would say to you, like, some of these accountability measures are not airtight and perfect, at least as they've been administered so far, and they're making changes. Um, but I mean, what is what does the accountability model miss, and 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 isn't it your job as as a, as a steward of local public education? We'll start with you, Mr. Schaefer, to to try and highlight some of the things that this accountability does accountability doesn't really cover.
3: Uh, sure it 's our job to do that it 's our job to i think agree with sue to to dissent when we when we feel like uh, a dissent is important on some of the initiatives that are coming out of the uh, Department of education and the and the general assembly and probably we 've expressed some of that already today. Um, I think the issue on uh, what the caller what uh, Jenny is speaking about is more an issue of the teacher evaluation form. Uh, We're getting ready to uh, engage in a dialogue with our uh, Brown County Educators Association on formats that we might consider. The Department of Education has some recommended formats. Uh, Local school corporations can develop their own formats. If they develop a a locally uh, modeled tool, then that's subject to a vote of uh, the people in the district, and it requires a 75 percent approval approval. Uh, uh, rating for it to be put into effect. So um, I, I, I think that uh, to some extent um, that that will be addressed through, uh, through the process. I know philosophically in Brown County, it's very much the position of our board of school trustees and it's very much the position of our school administration that we want to listen to uh, varying points of view. I, I very much want to hear from our uh, constituencies and particularly when they feel like we're going down the wrong path. Sometimes I do hear that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right we're gonna have to uh, go to uh, our next caller. Jenny thank you a lot for calling and bringing up that topic. All right let's go to uh, Glee next. Glee?
5: Hi yes um, I uh, am a retired teacher and although I've come late to this discussion, I haven't heard everything. I just caught you on the uh, radio on my way home here. Um, I do have something that I'd like to tell you about the Europeans. Uh, my mother used to say comparisons are odious, but I think one reason that, that they do better uh, in general than we do is that they arrange the school day's, Uh, differently than we do. I I once figured out with colleagues in Germany that our students actually meet the same number of hours during the year as theirs do, but they have a six-week break in the summer. They have many more, um, like, three-day breaks or week-long breaks during the year, and even though the students don't go to school, you know, from the crack of dawn until it's dark, like we're doing here. Um, they they seem to get more done because it's spread out over the year. Um, that's all I wanted to say. Uh, there's there are many ways to um,
0: skin the cat.
2: Balanced oh, calendar and, is the is the term exactly. I believe we're throwing around here.
0: I'm is so glad name? you I'm so glad you called and mentioned that because I I really do think that kind of balanced calendar year round calendar is something that we have to look at more. I think David talked about. Um, concepts lost over the summer and all the weeks that are taken to catch kids up. And yeah, yeah. when I was first on the school board, Consetta um, Ramonde, who was the associate superintendent at the time, developed for us a year-round calendar where the breaks of that aligned with the breaks of our traditional calendar. So we could have some schools on year-round balanced and some on the traditional calendar um, and you could have kids in the same family on different calendars, but the breaks aligned. And it was, it was beautiful. Wow, that
5: sounds like a good idea. I know.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned it. And I hope in this community that, that we can have some more conversation about that. Um, we didn't do that at the time because um, our understanding was that financially it would cost more to start the program. But once you get into it, it really does save money. So I would right. really like us to look at that.
5: I also I also used to teach, you know, I taught high school, uh, well I caught taught K through 14 for 30 years. And um one time we were on a block schedule and we had to cram, you know, into 90 minutes what we were supposed to do in 3 days and it was it was insane. And um well, anyway, that's that's all I have to
1: say. Thank you, D- David Schaefer. Brown County has a balanced schedule, don't you?
3: Well, of sorts. We we've, uh-huh. we've in, we engaged in a months long conversation this past uh, uh, spring and summer over over going to a balanced calendar. In the end, I would say we used uh, we we have termed ours a balanced calendar, but it's really a hybrid type of calendar. We have a a, a week long break in the fall that we did not have before. We still have the Christmas break. Um, And we still have a one-week long break in uh, the springtime. It's about a week shorter calendar. Now, I want to throw out for this conversation that there is a piece of legislation introduced at the General Assembly that would provide that uh, any school district that was proposing a balanced calendar would have to hold a referendum of all its uh, registered voters uh, before such a calendar could be put into effect. I'm going to go right back to that point that I made earlier – that's the calendar is a is a matter of local governance for the local school board and the idea of mandating by law a referendum for the local school board to establish a balanced calendar balanced calendar in my mind is you know borders on ludicrous
1: all right. Our phone numbers again, 855-0811, 877-285-9348, and WFIU.org slash Noon Edition.
2: Don, let's, let's talk vouchers. <laughs> um, okay. You know, this is this is just sort of the issue that has gotten a lot of press, a lot of play, not only nationally, but, but you know, a lot of discussion here in the state as well. I, I mean, from your perspective, how do you see the voucher program and how has it played out this year and it's in its first year at at Lighthouse Christian?
4: at uh lighthouse uh we have uh six students in uh, uh that are uh, receiving uh, vouchers so it hasn't had a, a major impact on on us uh looking at the the concept uh we do believe is a basic principle that education is the responsibility of the, of the parents and that um, the whole concept is called school choice and the idea is that Parents being able to send students to the school that uh, is consistent with what their values are and with what they want to to see happen in their children children's education, so uh, we see vouchers as a way that can help help that uh, to happen. Uh, one of the families we had um, come back this year was a family that had been in the school had not been able to keep their children there because they couldn't couldn't afford it, but uh, vouchers did enable them to do that and uh, that's where we really do support the voucher family for those families who want a Christian education, and this is a means for them to be able to afford
2: on christian edu- on, on christian education um th- you know no matter how you structure the legal argument of that it's not the state funding religious education, yep. it's state funding parents funding religious education, and that it's the parents that are making the choice, yep. I still feel like there are probably a lot of people that are out there who feel that it's very uncomfortable with the idea that state money is going for religious education. <laughs> and I, I guess I wonder how you respond to that. Okay. Uh,
4: I, I'm sure, sure there are, and we have seen those debates, and we'll go back, there really is a... Basic philosophical principle there that uh I'm dealing with um we we'll go back to it we really do see that um, church and state are to to be separated uh when talk about religious education every um, education comes from a a world view uh in uh, no matter what school you're in the public school there is a worldview from which every subject is is being taught uh, what we believe is that parents should have the right to go to uh, a school that is consistent with their uh, worldview. Uh, So we support school choice. We think uh, uh, we do support uh, the public school uh, that uh, for the parents who want that for the children, they should have the choice to to go there. Uh, For us as a Christian school we should have that. For uh, Jewish families should have uh, the choice to go to a school that supports uh, their values and and worldview because purpose of education is prepare children for life, uh, and we want to prepare them for that life as Christians take a place in the world.
1: Don, have you had to make some changes uh, in your governance in order to accept students through the voucher program?
4: Uh, We have not had to make uh, really any uh, changes, uh, particularly since we were already accredited through the freeway status. Uh, Most of the requirements uh, that are coming for Voucher schools are things we already have to do as part of a freeway a freeway accreditation. Huh. So to maintain that, we will have to to maintain
2: those uh, those things. Okay. Sue, so we've got we've got a handful of private schools here in town. Um, people worry that this would be a game changer, and the numbers are eleven vouchers for for Monroe County School Corporation. Well, What's the big deal?
0: Well, the the big deal is. Um and Don kind of just said it. I, I believe in school choice as well. I believe any parent should be able to send their child anywhere they want to, but I don't think the government, through taxpayer money, should be paying for that. Um, I think something that Don said that kind of alarmed me is that he said, um, talking about the world worldview, um, Christians should go to their school, and then if you're Jewish, you could be able to go to your school. Oh, my gosh. So then we're going to put Muslims in one school and Hindus in another. I mean, to me that's the antithesis of what um, a free and open democracy is about, segregating people in that way. Um, And if people want to do that, that's great. But again, I don't think that's what our government is set up for, and I don't think that's what the taxpayers want necessarily with their dollars. Um, I do hope that in the future um, that there's a lot of monitoring done, because to make sure that um, any private school is, um, is, is totally accessible, is accepting any child, no matter the disability or behavioral problems or learning difficulties. And one of the big deals, Kyle, I, I understand what you're saying, and we certainly don't, you don't have an hour or four-hour show for me to go on about this, but <laughs> I'd be glad to come back. Um, there was a cap statewide on how many vouchers could be offered this year, which I think about 7,500. Um, next year, it's going to double. And the year after that, there will be no cap. Um, so, so I have to wonder, um, and, and I think it's um, – I, I guess it's one way to say, oh, government really isn't funding the religious education because it's going to parents. Nope, government's funding it. You know, I don't care if somebody gets it in the middle. It's still my taxpayer dollar that's going to fund that religious education.
1: Okay, let's go to the phone, and Steve is on the line. Steve? Oh, oh, we lost Steve right away. So then we can go to David Schaefer and see if you have some comments on the voucher system.
3: Well, uh, obviously, I'm talking as a public school educator, so I'm going to qualify the answer for all of our listeners who, you know, understand where I would be coming from. I also have the historical perspective of having attended a parochial school from grades one through eight. So I have a a very uh, soft place in my heart for a Christian day school education. I think it was a really great program for me personally, Um, but I philosophically do not believe in the concept of the voucher. I don't believe that uh, tax money should follow uh, students whose parents make the choice to send them to parochial schools, uh, to the parochial schools because of the separation of church and state issue.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We have about 10 minutes to go. So if you want, to, if you have a question, you want to join us or make a comment, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also go to the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition to join the conversation there or even participate in a poll. I wanted to, uh, to – Go back to something we were talking about before about about testing and about some of the, the topics that that uh, students are tested on in the state and ask how you believe that's affected other programs that aren't tested. I know Sue, we were talking before the program about all the kids that uh, were at the breakfast meeting yesterday. Kids from Habitat uh, who are in the Habitat program. Kids who are making robots. Those kind of uh, those kind of things. Um, is the the are, are the arts in trouble? Are these other these other issues that uh, are not um, considered by the state testing to be as important, are they really in trouble, or are we doing all right with that?
0: They could be in trouble. Um, I think in a community like Bloomington, I'm not sure the arts necessarily would ever be in trouble, but when we went through the period where we um, defunded our extracurricular activities and we were taking it through donations, you know, there were some people at that time who said, Extracurriculars are so important to our kids in their learning. I would rather you spend the money on that and take money away maybe from some of the arts programs. Um, so I think it 's going to continue to be a struggle and, and my concern is um, when we focus so much on the subjects that are tested, um, what not just are we going to cut an area because i 'm not sure we 're going to cut an area, but what does it do to the faculty in those areas? Are we offering less support um, to faculty who um, are are teaching? In the arts or some other ancillary area that isn't tested, and do do we not um, have an obligation to th- to those faculty as much as we do any other faculty because we know that all of these things combined really probably contribute to a higher test score. We know music helps with math um, and an all round an all round uh, well rounded educated person so Bob, it's it's a great question. I don't think we're in trouble right now, but yes, that that could be something that falls by the wayside, especially as we keep referring to the state having control. Who knows? My gosh, maybe at some point the state's going to say, "No, you can't teach art anymore because you can only te- teach ma- math and English." I don't know.
2: Well, just to just to try and play devil's advocate to the state argument. I, I okay. mean, you know, in in their in what they've set up in their grading system where you give every school a letter grade. They say that next year, what you'll incorporate are things like graduation rates. It's not going to be all testing. Um, it'll measure things like student growth. And, but, but beyond that, what it does is it, get, it gets rid of AYP. It gets rid of the thing that has, by <coughs> many accounts from left and right, basically agree that AYP and No Child Left Behind has have, have hampered school districts in a lot of ways. Isn't the, isn't the current alternative... It's not by all means desirable in terms of, 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 of talking about the things that you're talking about, making sure that you have things beyond the testing oh. scope. But, but we're not talking about all tests anymore.
0: Right, exactly. And we do have to talk about um, a lot of different things building in. And my understanding, Kyle, for that grading that's going to happen it, is that there's going to be statistical, statistical quotas. So no matter how well a school does, there's going to be a third who score high and a third who score low because they're going to just – the lowest schools are going to be marked as low achieving. I don't understand the whole idea of competition in education. Competition doesn't fit in with education. If we are all achieving, why are some then put at the bottom? If we're all achieving well – and I think that's what we need to do is start looking at schools and school corporations individually and how well they're doing and how well they're growing – um, in order to grade schools, instead of just putting you on a little bell curve and saying the bottom third
2: are going to be called low achieving. Don, the competition thing plays into things like choice. I mean, competition is what the is what the, the, the voucher program is supposed to help foster. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, that competition
4: uh, certainly can be a good thing in improving what's going on. Uh, one thing I was thinking as um, Sue was talking, the idea of the place uh, that the arts and things like that have in our education is really vital as um, our scores are compared uh, to those in other <coughs> other countries. Uh, look at how much higher some are scored and yet many of those countries are sending their students here because of those components that are lacking in that kind of education. Uh, the creativity and the invent- inventiveness are, um, are a critical part of education that all of these things have, have a part in making a holistic education one that really prepares students that can go into the, the workplace and um, be the inventors and uh, the leaders in innovation.
1: David?
3: I have a responsibility as a superintendent to provide a well-rounded education for our boys and girls and uh, personally believe that the arts and some of those creative, innovative things that Don's referring to are absolutely a crucial part of our kids' education. A real quick set of statistics I want to throw at you. Two years ago, Brown County High School had an 89.9% graduation rate. Last year, they increased that to 90.1 or 2% we didn't make AYP because our improvement was not significant enough under the AYP rule. And so therefore, a school that really would have earned an A rating last year, Meron County High School, earned actually a C rating. So, you know, whatever system we use, it's important to try to set it up so that It doesn't have those kind of inherent unfairnesses built into it.
0: And here's my suggestion that instead of letting lawmakers devise a way to grade schools, that we bring educators in the state together and let them figure out if there's a way to do that and let them be the ones instead of legislators who really don't understand a whole lot about the complexities of education.
1: Shouldn't it perhaps be a mix? Well,
0: It's yeah because eventually it's going to have to go to the legislat- yeah. legislature but you know I would really like to see those concepts developed by our educators who really understand um, how you demonstrate and how and, and and how you can grade I guess or I guess maybe how you demonstrate how learning occurs and, mm-hmm. and let's let our educators do that.
1: We have uh, less than three minutes to go so you have less than a minute each to tell me what keeps you up at night as an educator what are the what's the biggest issue that that you're concerned about Don you want to start.
4: Okay. Uh, right now, these changes are um, – I'm new. Yeah, I've just been here for a year and a half, uh, learning the system, and the changes that are taking place on all of these things are having a bigger and bigger impact. And um, it is somewhat overwhelming to look at what, as, particularly in our small school – limited number of people to work on these things. How much of this are we going to have to do? How much can we get done? How are we going to do it?
1: Okay. David?
4: I'd say what keeps me up at
3: night is trying to uh, deal with some of the answers that don't have, that some of the questions that don't have easy answers to them. And, and uh, we haven't really talked much about the, the new teacher evaluation model, trying to find mm-hmm. a fair way to evaluate teachers. And also involved in what's upcoming with collective bargaining, uh, we're going to change the way we we uh, compensate our teachers. I want to find a fair way to reasonably compensate and fairly compensate our teachers who really are the ones that are doing the education.
1: Okay, so you're 30 seconds.
0: Um, probably the privatization that's going on um, in this state and, and the, the push to really try to pit one school against another so we can call you better and we're going to give you more money and we're going to give less money to the school that really needs it. And I would also say compensation for our staff. Um, in the 80s, Governor Orr said that we need to pay our teachers better, professionalize the profession, and so that we get the best and the brightest. I think we've got to return to that philosophy and the way we te- treat our teachers.
1: All right. It's been a terrific discussion today. I really appreciate all three of you being here. David Schaefer from Brown County, Don Wilson from Lighthouse Christian, and Sue Wanzer from the Monroe County Community School Corporation Board. Uh, for Kyle Stokes for sitting in. Thank you for sitting in for Mary Catherine Always today. fun. All right. For Kyle, producer Gretchen Frazee, and engineer Mike Bashkash I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Also, Premier Ortho, a division of Premier Healthcare, helping people living with injuries and chronic back, spine, or joint pain to get back on their feet. Premier Ortho, 333-1933, online at mypremierortho.com.